Welcome to another edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. The mission of Food, Faith, and Feelings is to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Brought to you as an educational program under the nonprofit of Mana Scholarship Fund, our program is designed to help you better understand issues related to your physical and mental diet, what you consume that impacts your head, your heart, and your soul. We are thankful to our business partnership with Paradigm Security and Mr. Rick Strawn for providing this opportunity to come to you. We hope to enrich your lives as he has enriched ours. So today, I would like to introduce Mr. Sean O'Keefe, my guest today. Hello. (sighs) And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) I love wild crowds. Love wild crowds. Right? So Sean... Um, Sean and I are business associates, slowly becoming friends. Um, Sean was brought on to the MANA Treatment, MANA Scholarship Fund um, uh, array of people who are helping this train move forward. Would you like to explain what you are doing with MANA? So um, I've had the opportunity of working for MANA since uh, November of last year, as you well know, and uh, my company brands and develop signature events for nonprofits in hopes of increasing their um, notoriety, their donor base, expanding the profile of the organization, working on a cellular level with uh, their constituency board of directors and employees to bring forward not only the mission of the organization, but the relevancy of the organization in today's world in hope of greater funding and, and more um, people being tuned into what that particular mission is. So in my work with MANA, I have an opportunity to, uh, at a cellular level again, work within the constituency to increase the profile of the organization throughout the metropolitan Atlanta area. So, wow. yeah, that was a mouthful. It's a lot, isn't it? Right? So uh, let's talk a little bit. Just uh, We're going to give him a little taste of what we're doing, what's coming up. So you want to introduce what we're doing? So You Think You Can Sing is a <laughs> virtual karaoke fundraising extravaganza that will be um, on a cellular, sort of a small level. It's an opportunity for people to um, offer their version of entertainment, karaoke, and propose that as a method for fundraising for the organization. We will be producing a one-hour live-to-tape broadcast that will be aired via Vimeo on May the 16th, starting at 6 p.m. The uh, broadcast will feature vignettes of the history of MANA over time, from its inception to where it is now, the trajectory of its growth, where it is going in the future, as well as as um, continue our tradition of honoring certain people in the history of the organization um, for the work that they do in support of the organization. Um, We'll be able to hear from people who have been impacted from MANA during the broadcast, and we'll be able to have some fun. This grassroots level event this year is in response to the pandemic and our inability to be able to gather in crowds, but it sets down a foundation for next year when the world is back to normal and we're able to get together and enjoy a cocktail and a dinner and celebrate in person the work of this really earth-shatteringly important organization. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and I just want to give a little little tidbit about why, how I came up with the idea of So You Think You Can Sing. Because a client 
of ours that has gone through our program, all levels of care, and is doing extremely well, is an amazing singer. And so I thought, what a great way to help not only like increase her fan base, but also get other people who just love to sing. Because I have a lot of friends who love to get out and, and they're regular karaoke bar people mm -hmm. love to sing. I watched a friend propose to his fiance now through karaoke. He put on a whole huge karaoke production and tons of our friends did the karaoke and it was a fantastic, it was just fantastic. So I just thought it would be fun. Well, and it gives people an opportunity to put themselves in an uncomfortable space. And when we're in an uncomfortable space, we realize the potentiality of our growth. And karaoke, although you think it's just fun, it, it does allow us to make ourselves better in that moment as we face those challenges. And I think that that's part of what Manus speaks to in the pathway for recovery that um, the people that we are of service to have to face on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about you and understanding the eating disorder community. Talk to us a little <coughs> bit about that. So I have had the pleasure of working with various organizations in the Atlanta community that help to um, educate, uh, advocate, treat, um, and make whole people who have been with, through, and beyond their eating disorders. Um, my work is fun, right? I get to put the best foot and the best face of the organizations forward in my work. But I also understand why we do it and where it comes from. And that body positivity is something that the majority of people, I think, struggle with at some point in their life or another because of societal norms that we are forced to adhere to until we've built enough strength to realize that we can be our own unique selves in this world without judgment from others. Now let me ask you, just poignantly, have you ever had an eating disorder? So I don't think I've ever had an eating disorder. And I think people think of eating disorders as, you know, oh, you have anorexia or you have bulimia. But I think that the majority of people have had an eating disorder when you seek comfort in food, when you use food as medication to deal with an anxiety or an stress or, or a life condition that's, you know, um, uh, recently, someone was having a bad day, and they killed a bunch of people. When I have a bad day, I go to a bag of Oreos. Oh, that's mine. So, but that's part of right. that broader spectrum understanding of what an eating disorder is. And to that point, I think the majority of us have had those um, examples in our lives. And it's so disordered eating. Disordered eating, I think. Not necessarily eating disorder. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's disordered eating. And, and there are so many stereotypes that we as individuals face in our world. And it just it's, sometimes it's just easier to have that disordered eating. Um, uh, what's the right word here? That sort of that, that disordered eating way of coping Correct. with the stress that you're in at that particular time. Yes. So... Yeah, let me just make that an, into a kind of a round out that point, which is that everyone has stress. In fact, we know that the last year or 15 months has been extremely stressful on everyone in the world. And there are lots of things that have happened inside of the pandemic 
in addition to people dying from the, the pandemic, from the coronavirus, people have died from suicide. They have mm-hmm. developed um, higher rates of anxiety, depression, uh, eating disorders. Right now, it is extremely difficult for a program like MANA to find treatment without having our clients having to wait two, three, four, six weeks to get into a residential level of care. And we have to think about the residential level of care as really a life-saving level of care uh, because they're having to stay there 24-7. And what can happen is people can get worse and actually have to go into the hospital. And so there's been a lot of uh, cascade from mental cascade that has happened because of this pandemic. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100% because I, I don't think that mental wellness thrives in isolation. Correct. And we have had to be isolated. I mean, it's been a year and a half since I've had a hug from any number of friends that I normally would embrace on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And that does impact one's wellness. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a very big believer in whole body, whole mind approach to our day-to-day activity and how can you be whole mind and whole body when those things that help define our humanity have been removed from our ability on a day-to-day life. Right. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about Sean. Tell us about Sean. Who's Sean? Is he he coming? (laughs) (laughs) Let's tell us a little bit about Sean O'Keefe and a little, because one of the things I really like to do, I'm a psychologist. I'm very comfortable interviewing people and finding out about who they are. And so I would love to have you tell our listeners, who is Sean? So um, Sean is a really complex person, right? Who's had a varied number of careers in his life. Um, I started off um, uh, in rural Newfoundland, Canada, moved to Toronto after coming out in the late 1980s. Um, coming out. A, coming out as a gay man in the <gasps> late 1980s. What? You didn't know? Um and, um, you know, there's, there was a whole lot of um, things that happened in that process. And I think now it's not necessarily as difficult as then. Correct. And um, uh, part of my um, self-actualization was leaving where I had been from mm-hmm. and going to where I would be able to be a better version of myself without those stresses of society and family and parental judgment and those kind of things. So funny that you mention the stressors, those stressors of coming out and really trying to figure out who that is and who you are and what that looks like and the, the transition in your own head. I wanted just to say that um, research shows that beginning as early as 12, 12 years old, gay, lesbian, and bisexual teens may be at a higher risk of binge eating and purging than heterosexual peers because of that very reason. So again, it goes to the point that sometimes it's easier to find comfort in food. Because that's what a kid can control. Well, that's what a kid can control, but we're also told that it's nourishing. And when we're broken, we want to be nourished. So it makes sense that you would take more nourishment when you're broken. I mean, it's the wrong paradigm to think of, but I can see how, um, having been through that, my mind would go to that level of realization in the equation, you know. And I started working in the culinary industry when I moved to Toronto, and then that started an entirely different relationship with my sort of self-worth. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. When I moved to Toronto, I was a vegetarian. And oh. then by the time I was in Toronto and I started working in restaurants, I developed an appreciation for things that were not on my menu before. So I'm like, okay, how do I eat this? What is that about? What does this do if I do that? How does my body react to that? And I think part of my um, walking down the path of self-actualization that happened between 1988 and 1993 which were my years in Toronto um, was and how old were you during those times um, 18 to 24 okay some and maybe it was 89 to 94 yeah. but it's that five-year period that I spent in Toronto sort of trying to figure out the who and what Crucial and the mechanics identity. of my time yes you know and and I I felt that I couldn't do that um, in the environment into which I was born um, because of familial stress, mm -hmm. um, religious overtones, would I be accepted? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, if you're told you're not right for a long period of time, you'll end up being not right. So, you And know, that's what you were told. And I was told that. So I had to come to the terms with what I had to offer, the who and what I am, and Question. then move forward with that. Yes, Dr. Jean. Sorry to interrupt. But no worries. You, you, were, you were told you were not right because you were gay? Correct. Correct. Oh, wow. Well, and that, you know, I mean, if you came out in 1988, the reality is, it's like, well, you're, that's, you're, you're deviant, you're different. And, and now it's, I think because there have been so many people that have had that experience of coming out, we're a little bit more accepting of the diversity that sexuality offers in our world than we were not. And I was raised in a very heavy, very strong Catholic environment, and that was just not acceptable. So right. I left. Yeah. That's really, that's a tough place to be. Well, and, you know, some people could do it. I've always said that if I stayed in Newfoundland, I'd either be high or dead, mm. right? Because that was another way of coping. Wow. But when you're put on, when, you, when you're left to stand on your own two feet and to figure out who you are and to develop that dialogue with self, right? And to understand your very ness, your thoughtfulness, your spiritualness, your kindness, your ness, right. then that empowers you to be that better version of yourself. And then as time went by, I began other parts of my life and emigrated to the United States. And I've had the most remarkable 25 years in this country. And now everything that I do, I do for the very many. And my company's been a part of raising over $15 million in conjunction with nonprofit organizations by leveraging their community for the greater good. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm going to, I wanted to put out another statistic here, okay. another statement. And this is from the National Eating Disorders Association that fear of rejection or experiences of rejection plus internalized negative messages. So believing the crap that you're told that you're not okay. Mm -hmm. Those beliefs about oneself due to your sexual orientation or non-normative gender expressions or ch tr transgender identity is one of the major components of why transitioning and being gay and having the different sexual orientations and gender orientations is so painful and um, traumatic. It can be a traumatic process. No, and I think it is a very traumatic process because, you know, um, well, let's just look at the coming out experience, right? Um, you shouldn't have to do that. It should just be. Well, now, I remember. And straight people don't come out. Oh, my God, I'm a heterosexual. You don't have that, that common I, piece that's there correct. that binds the community. I remember as you were talking that 
I remember being in high school because you and I are just a couple years apart that I remember saying thinking oh is that person gay and like really not understanding and that's when you know that's back in the 80s we didn't we didn't think about it in the same way I was like oh look that person has a tattoo Right. Like, it, it was just not an, a part of our norm. Nose piercings. <gasps> right. Right. But anything that's not normal isn't abnormal. It's just Correct. a different version of normal. And how do, we, how do we put that into perspective for that young man or young woman who's dealing with that sexual question? You know, right. because and I, it's not I just abnormal. think that the whole of society has shifted so much that you're right. It, I I hope that it's a different process for well, people and it, now. Well, and and again, it shouldn't. It's 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 not relevant. You know, I you just are, and and the acceptance belief that you can just be mm-hmm. is something that fuels. Um, if if you can if you can be the way you are, without having to define the way you are, then there's no need for that definition, and there's no need for that trauma, and there's no need for those other things. Like if it was just okay that you were that way then mm-hmm. that's accepted mm-hmm. and you don't have to have that coming out experience which like oh you have blonde hair versus correct hair. correct who cares right who cares as long as you're um uh, a loving kind supportive encouraging enabling dynamic part of a vital community that loves others and supports the community as a whole mm-hmm. it really it's it's no longer relevant mm-hmm. well, i hope it's no longer relevant because i wouldn't want anybody to have the experience that i had so I know that you you struggled with that transition. Um, Tell us what was the most helpful part of that transition for you? What helped you? Hmm. You want me to remember 32 years ago. Yes. Yeah. So the most helpful part of that transition um, was the belief that I had in the back of my mind that um, I was okay that I wasn't what people were saying I was. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are those of us who have a greater sense of self and self-security and self-actualization than others, Mm -hmm. and their pathway to self-actualization is different. Mm -hmm. As a younger man, I knew that, um, like, I didn't want a girl at my prom with me. I had a girl at my prom with me, but she was lesbian. Oh. Right? So... That kind of made it okay. So it worked. I could fit into the stereotype Mm -hmm. of the heterosexual norm because there was a woman that was my prom date that was also like me. So even in our differences, we appeared that had that normalcy, Mm. right? So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a curious thing. Um, um, Having that sense of self and that sense of confidence and not everybody has it. And not everybody has the tools to be able to build it, which is why I think sort of self-actualization, recovery, um, uh, understanding the benefit of self uh, all aids to that, right? So that's the whole body, whole mind process, right? If you're broken in one way, you can't be the best version of yourself, whether it's a broken bone or a broken soul. You have to have that reparation. One of the things I teach the therapists at uh, my office is that every human being has two needs, two primary needs. One is the desire for love and to be loved, and the other is the desire for safety and to not be harmed. And so I think that as we grow and transition into the adults and the giving back in the community and in who we are, 
that finding those two things and, and people search for this sometimes for their whole lives. And so it's it, the process of creating that identity around, I am loved, I am lovable, and I am safe, I'm okay. Like even if you decide to reject me, I'm still okay. What's interesting, um, and pardon me for interjecting, mm-hmm. is that those two things that you describe as the basic necessities that everybody has, mm-hmm. the, coming out, the coming out experience negates those both, mm. right? If I'm different, will I ever find love? Will I ever be able to love? And then the safety and security issue. I don't, I don't know if that's as relevant today's world for young people dealing with the coming out experience as it was in the late 80s but there were bashings and verbal abuse and things that you were subjugated to because of who you were that undermined your ability to have those very two things that you describe as being essential for wellness and and an individual's you know birthright and place so yeah i think the other thing that is really important in the whole process is for people to understand like as a, as a heterosexual cisgendered female, I had never understood the gay process. Now, one of my very best friends in college was gay. And so he taught me so much. I was just like, I don't understand. Explain this to me. And through that process, it, it, I understood. And so it was, it was really helpful. And, uh, for me personally, as a, as a person, as a person growing up in this, the eighties that didn't understand and what do we do with different and, and Mm -hmm. all that, it was really, um, it helped me to really click and connect with that whole process that you're discussing. Well, and, and it's to the, you know, it's just, let's just take it to a bigger picture of where we are now in our world, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't expect you to understand the coming out experience. Right. You never went through it. Right. I have no idea what it's like to be a black woman. Right. But I can be an advocate and an apprentice and a study of that so that I can be a better version of a human in our world. Right. So it's the understanding and acceptance of other people's stories and walks that give us our best version of self. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we, you know, uh, the battle that I've always had with my family has been the more you know about diversity, the more enriched you are, Mm -hmm. not the smaller and less relevant you are, right? Oh, if I'm just this, then that's all I'm ever going to be. So I'm going to stay in my pod where I can be this Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about anything else being better than me. Well, it's not being better than you. It's being different. And that the celebration of those differences are what bring us to a higher level of um, self. Let's, okay, let's, we, we're getting a little bit short on time. I'm looking at the time. So I want to make sure, I know it goes by fast. So I want to know who or what got you into the field that you're in now, marketing, catering. I know you're, it's, it's interesting that you started out, that surprised me that you started out as a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And now you're like this math, I, I know you've, you've rubbed uh, elbows with a lot of famous people and you've done marketing and catering and been chefs, personal chefs. Uh, so tell us about that process. So um, <clears throat> I had the opportunity of meeting a retired talent manager in 1994 who had created careers for, hmm, he's the guy that told Adam West to put the tights on and go be Batman, right? No way. Oh yeah, and, and um, Carol Channing was his client and Andy Williams was his client and he wanted a chef in his home 
to entertain his guests. He ran his home as if it were a small hotel. Wow. And I had the privilege of being that manager and chef. After five years of working in his residence, I had started teaching cooking at a culinary school in Los Angeles and um, came across a headhunter who placed uh, talent in private residences. And um, I had the opportunity of working for some really incredible, you know, big-named Hollywood celebrities, which it was, you know, facilitating their in-home life, right, by allowing them to eat and to dine and to entertain um, when I moved to Georgia, I made an active decision that I would do what I had done for the very few, for the very many. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, took my boutique catering, food service, create the flower arrangements, set your table, set the candles. You know, that guy that did that uniquely for the billionaire Hollywood celebrities. And allowed that to happen on a small but great level for the nonprofit clients that I've had. And and there have been many, and there have been some that I've had for 12 years and some that I've had for four months. That would be you. Right. Four months. I know. And we're already seeing what it does. Like we did a we did wine tasting and we're we're teaching your group now how we fundraise. And slow and steady wins the race. They'll get a full immersion on what these things are. And it's important not only to ask our constituency to support the nonprofit, but for the nonprofit to continue to update and to be in front of its donor base. And not to ask. Here's something for you, for your pleasure, and we hope you enjoy it. And Mana is doing remarkable with that. Bubbles and berries for Valentine's Day. That was, was literally my it favorite. It was great. One. I mean, I it was love great. That. <laughs> Um, you know, we had a strawberry decorating class, I and um, our friends at Chloe Wine had donated their new rosé prosecco, and it was it was lovely, and mm. it was small and intimate, and it's it it it, it looks like team building, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But it what it does is again it it reinforces the growth of the nonprofit over time, and the ability to stay in front of its constituency because if you give once you'll give twice. And if you give twice, you've already allotted for that gift, which means you'll give it a third time. And after the third time you make that gift, you're used to making that gift. And then that translates into long-term giving or end-of-life giving or, you know, I'll remember you in my will and the nonprofit gets a nice gift when that donor of 20 years sort of moves on to that next level of experience. We actually have that donor. No, it's, it, it's amazing. And you can cultivate more of those donors by doing the things that we're doing. So I think MAN is at a very exciting place right now. And I don't think a lot of people know the organization. I think a lot of the people know you. As and, much as I can get out there. Right? But but right now... <laughs> but what, Mama's tired. <laughs> I, I, I want to bring that out, right? Like right. there are, you know, maybe what we do every once in a while is hire an individual therapist for work that they're doing and begin to develop the profile that MANA is not a person, but MANA is oh, the breadth so and width many. of so many people right. that cover so many different versions of what life can be. Over and, 15 years. I mean, over 15 years. And it's mm-hmm. a remarkable, it's a remarkable nonprofit. I'm, I'm privileged to be able to work um, for you and with you as we do this. And I think it's going to have great impact on how things change for the organization moving forward. You know, what was really interesting is uh, next week, next Monday, I'm going to be on the Recovery Recharged podcast. Um, and it's a radio show podcast with Ellen Stewart and Dr. Pat. Well, a- Ellen, who is in New York, had heard of MANA. And I was wow. blown away at, really? You've heard of MANA? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. So I, um, I know that, 
I think that the advent of this technology, the, uh, the pandemic is actually, I think, going to benefit nonprofits because now not just we're not just trying to get a room full of 100 people, but now we can also we can do it simultaneously. We can get 100, 150 people in a room and we can hit more people, 700 people across the United States at the same time with the same message because of technology now. And I think the technology, I mean, when you do something long enough, it becomes real. Yes. And in the 15 months that we've been dealing with the lunacy of a global pandemic, we've pivoted. I hate that word. We've pivoted in a way. I hate that word. I don't mind um, it. <laughs> we've, we've done things that we would never have done before, and it's shown us that we can do those successfully. Right. So... I do think that there will be virtual wine tastings for manna for years to come because it's easy, it's thoughtful, it's beneficial to the nonprofit. It gives the guest something that's experiential mm -hmm. within the comfort of their own home. And, and what the pandemic has done is it's made us love our environments more. And honestly, if I can get four bottles of wine delivered to my front door and all I got to do is hop on a Zoom call and watch a couple of videos about and a nonprofit. Teach me and then teach me about the wine and as then I'm learn about the it? wine and the comfort of my own home. I mean, I think it's great and I think it's here to stay. I also think we're going to go back to those in-person events because they're so much fun. Right. But the messaging will be different throughout the year and and we have to touch our guests 5 to 7 times a year. We only can ask them for money once. The other six times we have to make them feel that they want to give without asking. Correct. And that's what we've done with MANA. And these, these events that are all housed on your website are easily um, uh, achievable. They're an introductory price point for support. Mm -hmm. And they all look like everybody is having a good time. MANA is making a little bit of money. The client is getting a great experience. And it's, it's, it's not that pressured fundraising, right? So but again, it speaks to the grassroots community effort that you want to engage and build for MANA over time. And again, it's just a privilege to be a part of it. Well, we've got So You Think You Can Sing. So You Think You Can Sing. On That's, May 16th. There you go. And actually, it's interesting because we do have a, a person that's going to be in our, as a contestant in our karaoke event, who is actually from Seattle. So we started reaching out, right? So when you develop something out of nothing, sometimes it's hard to do. Like Really? It's, <laughs> you have to see it to believe it, and Correct. we haven't done anything yet. Correct. So we had a very, um, I want to say, engageable social media outreach. We had the 100 Days of Hope yes. messaging that was happening. Dominique has done this. an amazing job. I mean, it's job. wonderful. Ugh. It's really wonderful. And, and for everyone's edification, Dominique is now our social media marketing guru that works in conjunction with my company and Mana and Jeannie and the team to get these messages out. And we have... Uh, Manuel in uh, Seattle, who saw this through one of our karaoke posts, he submitted a tape of him singing. It's great. <gasps> We've used it on social media. And he's going to be one of our contestants, which goes to show and prove to the point that you just made that because of the technology, we are forever different. I did one broadcast event last year. I have no idea. We had nine people in India watching. How did that happen? Wow. How did that happen? I still haven't figured out how that happened. Wow. But when you send something out into the universe, which those internets are, <laughs> right? I mean, that is the universe. Anyone can see that anywhere at any right. point. Right. Um, it, it really 
opens up the opportunity for other people to become engaged with the organization. And this guy in Seattle, is he's heroic, right? Oh. I don't know what I can do to help, but I'm happy to sing. And we're happy to listen to him sing. He's amazing. Yeah, it's great. So let's talk a little bit about the event itself. It's We've already said it's May 16th. It's going to be at 6 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. Correct. For an hour. One hour show. We've got eight contestants. We have eight people vying for the title of best karaoke performer ever. E-V-E-H, I believe is how we spell Eva there. Um, and uh, they're a diverse group of... They, they um, can win this. They can Amazing win... Amazing trophy. A golden <laughs> microphone. Um, you know, there's such a level of reality in our world now, especially as we've been educated through television and media mm -hmm. over the last number of years, that what individuals offer is often better than what TV can build. Mm. And um, we're seeing real people who want to impact a difference in something that they believe in, right. stepping forward. Um, eight singers, each each song, we're gonna cut it down a bit so we can fit it into the hour, but we're probably looking at about an hour, um, sorry, about a minute and 20 seconds per singer. Then we're going to have some people who really can sing tell the singers how bad or how good they were which right. i think is great and that's going to be peppered again with some messages about the organization i know that dominique and um uh, ashton and madison are now combing through thousands of photographs to create a pictorial essay that will be set to some upbeat you know lively jovial I'm inspiring music base. i'm about all that about that base right <laughs> um and, and we're going to have a chance to show manna in a way that it's never been shown before. And um, broadcast video, broadcast television mm -hmm. is changing. And manna is rising to the occasion. We're going to meet the challenge of the pandemic by getting our message out in a way that's easily digestible. And the, tele the television, sh it's a show, right? It's going to be great. It'll have opening credits and closing credits. It's familiar to us as we've all watched reality TV before. Mm -hmm. But in this footprint, it puts manna in that space as being at the cutting edge, at the precipice of change. And I think with our, your history, um, where we are and where we're going, this So You Think You Can Sing, the singers, the vignettes into the lives of manna, the... We are also going, it, we used to do the MANA Awards Gala. So we are doing three awards. That will be interspersed throughout the programming. That will be peppered in there. Yes. As well as other stories. like As well as sponsorships. And sponsorships. So we do have sponsorships available. We I think do. I, I think I should say that. So if Correct. you want to be a part of the community of people that love and support MANA uh, and the MANA Fund here in Atlanta, please reach out to us at info at manathon.org does that is that that is no longer operational oh. marketing you can send it to marketing actually at manatreatment.com because our manafund.org email is not working okay so marketing at mana m-a-n-n-a treatment.com dominique gets those emails That's and she can dominique. answer and give you all of the opportunity one of the great sponsorship rois that we've built into this production is that at certain price points of sponsorship of this incredible organization we'll actually air a 30-second commercial for your business during the broadcast absolutely which i think is a very clever thing because it it looks 
like the way we're used to receiving information. So if you have, you know, the car dealership that feels that they want to participate or your local business needs to be highlighted within our community of strong, vibrant therapists and survivors, um, reach out again. It's marketing at manatreatment.org. And... uh, Com. Yes, but the website is manafund.org, M-A-N-N-A, fund, F-U-N-D, dot org. And I also, I just wanted to say, a lot of the times when people hear about an organization, they're like, yeah, 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 I'll bet 10% goes to the actual people and the rest goes to the organization. Well, I wanted just to say that MANA is a scholarship organization. What we do is... We provide scholarships for people who have eating disorder treatment needs and trauma treatment needs. And we provide that at in, in-house at, in Atlanta here, but also residentially. We literally just brought an individual from the Northeast down here to a center outside of MANA to receive residential treatment, which a lot of treatment or a lot of insurance does not cover. And so, we pay for those levels of care. We pay for residential, inpatient, PHP, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, and outpatient. We provide those scholarships. So your donations are going towards people to receive scholarships. We are also looking for establishing a recovery residence here in the Gwinnett area for people who are staying here. So if you are coming from Florida and you would like to receive treatment at MANA, you could stay in our recovery residence. It's not established yet because we're looking for a house, but we're, that's one of the things we're doing. We're also trying to expand the services around the greater Atlanta area, north, south, east, and west. So I just wanted people to understand that it's not for my, for me, <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't make the most money at MANA. Like there are other people that make more money than I do because I believe that I'll take enough for me for my living expenses and the rest needs to go to the clients. Well, and, and so too, that lays down an understanding of the impact that this organization's fundraising has on the community. Yes. And thank you for speaking to that. And now I feel as if I am interviewing you. So let's get that flip back around again and put you back in charge. Okay. All right. Well, I think actually it's probably time for us to end our show today. Oh, oh, oh. I know. You've got things to do for MANA. <laughs> I've got work to do for MANA. That's right. So I really appreciate it, Mr. Sean O'Keefe. Thank you, and if people, Dr. Jeannie Burnett. If people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Uh, you can email me, info at seanokeefeevents.com or sean at seanokeefeevents.com. There you go. Thank you. So... Thank you so much, um, and we appreciate you tuning in to Food, Faith, and Feelings. Again, we want to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. So be sure to subscribe to our show. You can find us on about 12 different podcast apps such as Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. All shows are also archived on businessradiox.com. Just go to businessradiox.com. Select the Gwinnett Studio and click on Food, Faith, and Feelings. The other way you can find us is on manafun.org. We have a Food, Faith, and Feelings tab. So until next time, I'm Dr. Jeannie Burnett, and this has been Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X.